Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. There's a place here at the table, your coats go by the door. You can kick your shoes off in that pile on the floor. I hope you wore elastic, cause your waistband's gonna get tight. Eight times done, we're having a night. Guys, we are here for Taste Part 2. Taste and Table Skips Part do. I'm particularly excited about this episode because I feel like it is our first episode where we've done some sort of hardcore research because everything else we've been talking about, we know a little bit about, but tablescaping, the history of tablescaping, I certainly knew nothing about. I really knew nothing about it. And I'm trying to think of in what context would we ever have been taught it if if not like passed down or I guess like some kind of specialty course and college but i it's not something that people are taught well ari and i were also talking last week about the fact that obviously there's no home ec anymore yeah and so there maybe used to be a time where you would learn these things and like the correct way to set a table and stuff like that i don't know i wonder though did they teach that in home ec am i totally making that up i have no idea what home ec is but in my head it's like we're sewing today and we're ironing and then we're like baking a pie and then we're like getting stains off of suede i mean i really wish that there was a home ec course that i could take now oh yeah because these are all things that i don't know anything about well i think we should start adding a segment where we tackle something like how to get marinara sauce out of your pants i love that it's funny. I feel like stains are kind of like everybody knows about stains. I don't know anything about stains. I would say I know about them, but I feel like there's something we all grapple with on a day-to-day yeah. basis. But like if you ask me to hem a pair of your pants. Yeah, that's a big one. Yeah. Eesh. You know what this yeah. stuff, I feel like it might have come up. It's totally the information that was on like the side um, in like a bubble in a history textbook. You know yeah. what I mean? And, you know, fun fact, like people ate with their hands until 15, you know? <laughs> yes, so true. And you're like, oh, is that going to be on the multiple choice test? Because <laughs> yeah. if not, I'm just going to skip right over it. <laughs> Little did you know, you wanted to know that women used to churn butter with a big wooden stick. Oh, I loved that. Also, my mom the other day was like, I made fresh butter with cream the other day. Oh, yeah. Isn't that great? Yeah. I've never made my own butter. I've done it by accident. I've overwhipped cream. Oh, yeah. But I feel like it's hard to whip it to the point that it's actually sturdy butter. Now with these guns. Hey. <laughs> Look at those arms. <laughs> it's like a fine line between perfectly whipped and all of a sudden it's butter. I mean, I can't. My biceps are just like a fucking. <laughs> One whip around the ball. Suddenly it's, it's butter. Butter. Okay. All right. So, all right, here we are. We're doing a deep dive into the history of setting tables. Getting academic here. We are getting a little bit academic, but we hope that you'll bear with us. So, pretty fascinating. Something, part of what we did mention this in last week's episode, but is this difference between service à la française and service à la russe. I mean, really, (laughs) I 
hate myself for even attempting to do a French accent. Sounded Please don't glorious. judge me. But basically, service, the French style of service <laughs> was when, was actually kind of the way that people serve a lot nowadays, which was that you would put all of the big plates out onto the table, whereas the Russian style was that each course would be served individually. So this happened basically toward the end of the 1700s when suddenly everything started being served individually, which obviously opened up all of this space on the table. And this is when modern table settings really became were invented, which I love this quote, as a way to provide a feast for the eyes as well as the stomach, which is such a great way of thinking how to set a table, right? It's like we were talking last week about things being really austere and like yeah. not – Kind of not inviting. Yeah. And so creating a table that actually looks like the, you know, that the things that are on the table also want to be eaten. Oh, my God. My friend's wedding, shout out to Bicky, um, was so beautiful. And she had bowls of strawberries all over and, like, um, beautiful vases that had lavender in them. Mm. And everything smelled good. And you yeah, could eat the smells, strawberries. Smells and it just, like, it invited you to touch. Everything looked like touchable and smelled good and it's such a nice yeah. way of setting the table so nice although uh, i feel like there are a couple items where when they're out on the table as a table setting you're like can i eat this like a big thing of grapes oh but i always think if it's there and it's edible it should be eaten, oh for exactly. sure but sometimes if you're at a fancy place and there's like some kind of weird thing i'm like am i supposed to be eating this but don't you feel like you're also always the first person who eats it yeah I of course am. i can't stand how awkward it is i'm just like i'm going in guys <laughs> people i'll take the fall if we're not supposed to eat this exactly <laughs> no if you're putting things on your table that look edible they should be edible don't put like a ceramic pear on your table oh my god okay this is bringing me straight to Catherine de medici I babe. think I might be obsessed with Catherine de Medici. Meanwhile, look, at it's probably going to turn out that she was actually, like, absolutely uh, atrocious. But not knowing very much about her history, aside from the fact that she brought the notion of really table setting to France, which is so cool. Okay, so Catherine de Medici was raised in Florence, which apparently was the epicenter of refined eating habits. I know. Who knew? Who knew? Who I'm, knew? like, so fascinated by that. So she was married in 1533. When she was 14. 14. Yikes. Big time child bride, and yet apparently had the gumption to be like the way that you guys have been setting your tables is disgusting. Can you and I'm imagine changing everything? So she relied. Oh, so she was raised. She was married to the French King Henry II of France. Who knows which one that was? I'm. Oh, I think maybe he was gay. I don't. know. I forget. Anyway, but. Whoa. In Florence, there was this book which sounds so much like Emily Post, right? It sounds like a manners type of book from the 1290s. I know. I, I'm. I, what did it look I'm like? Baffled. Yeah. Also, the notion that like all of these Florentines had this book. It was like, did they even have the printing press yet? Oh my God! Don't anybody? Suddenly, <laughs> 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 I'm going to be like castigated from. I'm also imagining, guys. I'm sitting here, kind of watching Sophie, brilliant Sophie, take me through this, and thinking like, oh, this is like at school. You're doing like a PowerPoint presentation. <laughs> it's like totally like, veering off the rails. You're like, wait a second, was the printing press inv- invented? Well, like the your head is exploding. Bible, I think, was the first book ever pr- yes, printed on a printing press. I remember I learning like that. that was in. I have no idea. No idea. But anyway, they were all reading like this 1290. manual. 1290? What was going on in 1290 when people had time to read a manual about table manners? Or didn't well, they have to, like, be worried that someone was going to break down their door with, like, a spear? I mean, Catherine <laughs> de Medici had the time to read a thing about table manners. But, but that was in 1533. 
This That's is true. Wow. So like the book. Long, <laughs> but if you think about it. That book. It's that a book classic. It's got some legs. Yeah. <laughs> the book was called 50 Courtesies for the Table. God, I wish we could get our hands on this. I almost, It almost sounds like I'm like leading to, I wish we could yeah, get our hands yeah. on this. Surprise, I have it in my bag. Like but we don't. the dustiest book. I wonder if they have it at like the Met. So Catherine de Medici was really sort of so she was the person who really brought this Florentine way of eating in a refined manner sort of all across Europe, I guess. Oh, I also love this. The phrase above the salt comes from the fact that the table setting included a salt cellar, you know, like a little dish that your salt would be in, and that was always the first thing that was put on the table. And then when you found out where you were seated, it was like if you were above the salt, it was a compliment. If you were below the salt, it was like a big old dish. But like above and below, according to what? Well, like which way is above? Like what? Which way is the front? So the person who was sitting at the head. So okay, like let's that's say the top. which I believe would have been like the the husband would be above the salt. I think the wife I imagine would be at the other end. Below, and the, be, below the salt. So poor old Catherine de Medici. Oh made my it. god! Do you think they did it as a game? Like everyone sat and then someone holding the salt like walked around the table and like sagged people out like no. where they were going to put it? No, because it was the opposite. The salt would be put down and then you would walk around and find your place card. Ooh. One way to find out who your real friends are. Exactly. It's like, like being ranked. Sir Catherine. <laughs> I thought we were closer than this. Exactly. You put me <laughs> below the salt at the second dinner in a row. Very uh, offensive. Well, I also love that the salt cellar was always on the table because I think there in recent times, and I mean maybe the past twenty years. Now we have salt back on the table, but when I was growing up, it was like, oh, you don't want to put salt on the table because that's saying that, like, the food might be undersalted or you want it to be perfectly seasoned. But I think you, everyone has their own, you know, subjective taste, salt taste. And I'm just imagining, like, some host being like, you know, from 1290 being like, so-and-so used too much salt on my beef. (laughs) <laughs> I do hate that. It was though, perfectly salted. I do hate that when you go out to dinner. Um, and, and it's somebody, not there. No. And somebody salts their meal before they even have taken a bite. I know. I think that's so weird. That's insane. Yeah. Like, fucking taste it first. Are your Pepper, taste, I understand. But, but are your taste buds, like, really that dull? Pepper, I understand if it's, like, a salad. Well, no. Pepper, I understand. It's different. It's different. Guess what, Sophie? What? We have a website. Oh, I'm so excited about it. It's just launched, mm-hmm. and you guys are going to be the first people to see it and interact with it. It looks yeah. really good. It does. It was made by our great friend and genius, uh, Ellen Canuti. Don't know what we would have done without her. Imagine what our Instagram and our website would look like if we didn't have her helping hand to guide us. like blurry <laughs> pictures of food and like with my arm in it. Yeah. <laughs> if you go on our website, you can sign up for our newsletter. We and promise not to bombard you. I love to unsubscribe from things. She I does. Never put anything in your mailbox that I would unsubscribe from. <laughs> and we're gonna be in your mailbox. What do you say? Bi-weekly? Once a month? Once a month? Does bi-weekly mean once every other week no or one, two times a week? No one knows. No one knows. It's one of the greatest mysteries of the universe. Bi-weekly that and black baby. holes. <laughs> so go to having a night podcast.com, sign up for our newsletter, and of course, listen and subscribe. I want to talk, I do, I want to talk about tablecloths. 
So most dining tables used to just basically be wooden pallets. And then at a certain point, when tablecloths originated in Rome, they came to represent wealth, dignity, etc. So this basically this just board would be covered with a cloth, of course. And then diners, instead of having napkins, yeah. I love this, they just wiped their hands and mouths onto the cloth directly. I think Which, we should throw a party like that. I think so too. Isn't that kind of genius? And they would, but they would also just like throw the stuff they didn't want on the ground. And they would also <laughs> share all of their cutlery. Which I'm like, that was no wonder disease was spreading so rapidly. You were wiping your mouth on one piece of cloth that everybody was sharing. You're like sharing your spoon <laughs> with everybody at a gigantic banquet. That's crazy. <laughs> um, oh, also. The way that placemats came to be. So basically, then came 18th century England, right? And these beautiful tables started finally being made. And, of course, people wanted to show them off. And so doily, D-O-Y-L-E-Y, was, um, I guess, a man in London who made curtains. It says he was a London draper, which I guess means he made curtains. Um, <laughs> and he invented doilies. Um, which then became placemats, obviously. But I've never, I've never bought a doily in my life. Have you ever used a doily? Um, no, only for like arts and crafts purposes. Yeah. I just well, always they're not like, used that much anymore. A big plastic platter with a gigantic doily and like a oh, bunch yeah. of cookies in a sad rec room. Yeah, you know? like at church or something. Yeah, all those times I went to church. Yeah. So, so that's but that's how doilies were made, which I love. Obviously, eventually, napkins came into being, which is very exciting. But what I love um, is that Emily Post – so, okay, so Emily Post says that the napkin should go on the dinner plate, uh -huh. which I actually disagree with. I always put mine to the left. What do you do? Yeah, I usually put it to the left, but when I'm doing something really fancy, I put it on the plate. Huh. Interesting. So you think that's fancier? Yeah, because then it's like you sit down, you immediately take – when I'm just having people over casually, I put it under the silverware on the left. Uh -huh. But when I'm, yeah, if it's yes, slightly never... fancier, you put it on the plate, and then the, the menu's right underneath. So you sit down, you take your uh, your napkin, and then you see your little menu, and then you've got your plate or your salad plate on the charger. So I I like that. Oh, yeah. That's like fancy, fancy. Yeah. But I never put my napkin under my silverware because then you have to take off the silverware to get the napkin. So I was trying to put it to the left yeah. of the silverware. Yeah. But uh, Emily Post insists that, like, folding your napkin in a fancy way is in terrible taste, which I agree. But I also think, like, it could be fun if I knew how to fold a napkin well. So those are napkins onto the plates because plates, plates were just big pieces of stale bread, which I'm like, bring that back. Well, that's still prevalent – in non-Western, I mean, in like yeah, different yeah, African, like Ethiopian, yeah, it's true, Ethiopian cuisine. That sounds great. Just like but scoop everything up with some bread, or imagine having like basically almost like a pita but stale, and then with like chicken on top with like drippings. Yeah. Oh my god. I wonder how stale the bread was though. Well, I think it had to be really stale so that it didn't drip, so that like anything didn't drip all the way through. I'm guessing. Yeah. So it used to be that. Then it became like a, just a big wooden trencher. But I'm sure in those days they weren't sanding it very well. So you might have gotten splinters. Then it evolved into a plate. Yeah. And there there are early records of um, spoons being found. Yes. But not forks. And forks were invented in Italy in the early 17th century. Yeah. And it was to like a lot of 
resistance from other, like the French, and people thought, what is this barbaric stabbing tool? Well, people used to just use knives, which right. I thought was hilarious, <laughs> and just like stab the knife into the meat hunk yeah. in the middle of the table and just put it in their mouth. And sometimes puncture their mouth. Yeah. That's ridiculous. Oh, how times have changed. Big time. Let's talk about times changing. We talked about this in, well, the last episode, part one. Just this sh- massive shift from, like, showing off the your wealth and, and having super-duper fancy uh, tablescapes and all your silver and, like, no one owns China anymore. Everything now is super minimal. I'm talking, like, right now, past five years. But even the past 50 years, things have gotten more rustic and more casual and democratic. Mm-hmm. And it's not about— um, yeah, having your fancy friends over and showing them all your fancy stuff, which I think it used to be kind of about that. Yeah. Oh, definitely. I think it was always keeping up with the Joneses. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, nowadays, right, it's like if you're setting a table, what do you put out? Obviously, it depends on what you're serving. But, like, I I do not put out more than one fork. Yeah. I, I mean, I would put out – I usually, like, don't put out my dessert cutlery anyway. But I guess if I was serving – Dessert and, like, put them above the – if I put it yeah, above my – then I would put out, sure, another fork for that. But, like, I wouldn't do a separate salad fork and main course fork. No, not unless you were doing something super special maybe. Or yeah. I just never want to do that many dishes. And even when I'm out at a restaurant and they come to clear my fork, I'm like, oh, no, it's fine. I'll keep it. And they're yeah. like, why? We, we have, have like more. giant-sized dishwasher in the back. You don't need to worry. Yeah. Like, the simplest place setting, but, like, sort of formal place setting is fork, plate, butter knife and napkin are to the left of the dinner plate. So, like, um, salad plate or bread plate to the left of the dinner plate. And then knives, spoons, stemware, tumblers, cups, saucers to the right. But, like, obviously, I usually am not serving a cup and saucer when I set. But, yeah, I would say, like, fork, salad plate or whatever – Napkin to the left, knife, spoon, glasses to the right. Yeah, that's how I do it. And the fork is four letters, and so it goes – How does this work? Yeah, to the left, and then knife and spoon are five letters. So they go to the right. right. Yeah. Apparently there's like this huge – all the table setting videos on YouTube have like so many hits. It's totally coming back into fashion. Or you've just got all these like – Older women who are just discovering YouTube now and are getting super into it. I love it. Well, did you know that Sandra Lee is the one who coined Tablescape, which is so crazy to me. Like, so, what did they call it before? Just table setting, I guess. Yeah. Table decoration. Well, because Tablescape is a portmanteau. So it's a portmanteau of obviously table and landscaping. Mm-hmm. So you're trying to landscape the setting of your table, uh, which – Makes sense. Yeah, of course. Exactly. It's and there are always – I think the one thing that lasts is natural elements, which makes sense because you're kind of celebrating eating and, like, eating things that come from the earth. And right. they're usually something natural like flowers. Flowers are always – they're never going to go out of vogue to have some flowers on the table. putting branches in the middle of the table? I don't know that I'm into it. I think it's a bit weird. Yeah, I mean, I always lean towards, like, functionality. So yes. I'm like, why is the branch there? But then part of me wants to say, hey, if it's a beautiful branch, maybe it's adding some ambiance, yes. which is another 
big word when it comes to tablescaping. Because that's like, what you're doing. Well, and I also feel like this is why I could see the two of us getting really into it is because it's all about creating an atmosphere. Well, maybe we could get so into it. We could ju- we could enter into a tablescape competition. Guys, these are real things. Go look them up online on YouTube. There are these huge competitions that people enter and they have to sometimes wait years because, you know, the, the there's so many people on the list to get in, to yeah. be approved, to compete. Also, it started in the 1930s at the L.A. County Fair, which is my favorite county fair in the entire mm-hmm. world. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. It's incredible. It's like livestock competitions, the whole thing. So great. Um, but, yeah, and it's – and and I think people – I mean, clearly people get so into it. But it's funny because then you look at these photos and you're like, it do, there's nothing really edible on the table, right? It's like – Yeah. I mean – and I'm like, what food, what food are you serving? Well, it's almost like set decorating. Yeah. No wonder it started in L.A. I think it's one of those things, true, that has taken off so much on its own that it's – lost touch with wh- why and where it began. Right. Like, it actually has nothing to do no, with eating. Yeah. No. It's, it's just like, uh, this table looks like Wicked the Musical. Right. Yeah. Use this palette <laughs> as your, exactly, cool. as your canvas. So what are we? <laughs> so true. But I feel like that version of tablescaping is so different from, like, the wedding version of a tablescape right. and that kind of thing. It's kind like of the really... classic, more, the one that's more concerned with ma- manners as well. So as Ari and, knows, I never watched Sandra Lee, but was she doing, like, which side was she on? Okay, her show is called Semi-Homemade. I don't think it's still on. Maybe reruns are on Food Network, and she's, like, this very tall, striking blonde woman who is not married to, but is Andrew Cuomo's partner. Exactly. Um she would do these meals where she was combining stuff she had bought at the grocery market with making stuff from scratch to kind of buy herself time and save money. And she would also do these tablescapes, which I thought leaned towards eh, tacky. Okay. Uh, and, like, why? just serve the food. I, I don't need to see, like, a, a castle made out of blue glitter and because we're doing, you know, I, I don't know, under the sea. It was— I don't know. She's deeply into it. And when I think of tablescapes, uh, she's kind of the first person who comes into my mind. Well, she coined it. Yeah. She coined she's it. She swatted it. It really brings brings to mind like a gaudy, over-the-top, tacky, as opposed to just I, – I wouldn't consider even a branch on a table a tablescape, but I guess technically it is. Any I, kind of decoration on the table. Well, I think anything that really sort of – I mean, not to bring this back, but, like, landscapes the table, right? Meaning, like, changes it from just being a table with food on it into some sort of, like, brings in another texture, another level, another um, architectural element. Like, I think all of that counts as tablescaping, right? Like, even if it's just, like, a bunch of flowers, it's all all tablescaping. It needs to, like, put you in a mood and put you in a place and connect – the host to the guests and create a sense of like harmony and balance. Mm-hmm. Going back to taste, bad taste is when in tablescaping in particular is when it feels like just one element is off and you have no idea why it's there and it, yeah. or maybe feels too fraught or overthought or gaudy or whatever. But yeah. it needs to feel in harmony with everything else. Well, I got lost um, 
on Martha Stewart's website. Mm-hmm. Well, she's mag- like the she's the one. She I mean, is our queen overlord. <laughs> she really is. I have to say, she she does really really beautiful things. Or her people, whoever it is, like it's so and it's and and it's also very um, a lot of the elements will be very silly, but it's like that level of DIY. I there is a part of me that aspires to that. Yeah. I think it's amazing. Well, it's super creative, right? All these so women creative. who have, uh, I've read about who have done these competitions, uh, they always say, well, I've always been a creative person. I've always been an artistic person. And, you know, life takes you somewhere and maybe you don't end up to be a painter or a sculptor and you go into accounting. And then when you're retired, you realize you have a knack for setting the table and suddenly all these impulses come back. It's yeah. kind of great. We want to give special thanks to our research assistant and good friend, Victoria Cooper. Victoria holds a PhD in political science. Her passion for good, clean food has led her to research and teach about the political, social, and economic aspects of food and agriculture. Because she is open to all sorts of learning experiences, her friends often call her Victoria the Explorer. Thank you so much, Victoria. Thank you. Hey, guys. To see pictures of some of our favorite recipes, tablescapes, or debaucherous evenings, follow us on Instagram. Our handle is at having a night. Okay, we have another listener question. Read it. I'm very excited about this one. Okay, hosting is great. However, I live in a part of the world where it's acceptable to be two hours late to a dinner party, just part of how things work over here. I get it. People are busy. The world is getting less punctual as we boop boop on our phones, and I don't want to cause any more stress for them by harassing slash being anal about starting supper on time. But I find myself feeling super stressed out as I watch all my food either frazzle or dry out or go limp slash cold slash lumpy, and I slash my other guests get hungry. What, a what, a what should I do? Henry Newton, location withheld. Oh, a mystery. Mr. Newton. I feel this question because I had a dinner party recently and somebody showed up two hours late with no warning, no like, hey, on my way but running late. I honestly would have just been happier if this person hadn't come at all because I thought it was extremely strange behavior. And she's been to parties at my house before, so it's not like, oh, oh, I just didn't know that this was going to be like a formal thing. And also it's not formal, but it's like that's just common courtesy. Yeah. But I do – I agree with this thing of, like, not wanting to stress people out, right? Yeah. So how would you – how do you get around that? Well, I think since Mr. Newton knows that this is an issue, it's it's hard to, like – I'm sure the process was very slow when, you know, he moved to this place or whatever, when he started throwing dinner parties at this place where he lives that is a location that is withheld. Um, (laughs) You know, slowly realizing that people, that two hours was like the norm, that was probably very frustrating. Right. But now that he knows that, I think maybe he needs to amend his idea of what a dinner party is and not have it be a sit-down thing. Or I also think, oh, interesting. So one option is to not have it be a sit-down thing, but then what are you going to cook? We're really good at this, like a huge antipasti spread. Or cook some things that can be out room temp that won't dry out. Yeah. Like, I mean, I love a chicken at room temp. Yeah. I guess what's frustrating, though, is like, I mean, we got that photo of someone blow drying a chicken on our Instagram. Yeah. If you try to make the skin super crispy. No. But you can you can live with a non-crispy skin. Like, Hugh Kitchen, 
Yeah. Their chicken is amazing. I think you want to go for like juicy. Yeah, exactly. So I would go oh. juice. Or you do like a stew that can just stay on the stove on very low. Oh, this is what curries are good for. Yeah. Curries are great for that. And, and they retain cooker, heat yeah. too. So you could even take it off the heat after a while and just keep the lid closed and people can just make themselves a little bowl of something. Such a good call. I just think you cannot have it be sit down serving different courses. It needs to be way more casual. I mean, you'd have to start calling people for 4.30 p.m. in the hopes that they would arrive by 6.30 and you could sit by 7.30. You know what it's it crazy. is? It's an open house. It's an open house. Or do you sometimes, every once in a while, throw a dinner party where you send something out and you're like, guys, I really would love everybody to be on time because I'm trying to make something really special. Yeah, I think you have to say what it is. Yeah. So you don't, to really not sound like... A, a dick. You yeah. have to tempt them with your excitement about making certain this whatever dish it is. But it is a funny thing of like people being super laissez-faire about timing. And I often think that it's people who don't host are really laissez-faire about timing because they don't think about how much actually goes into it. Mm -hmm. But I think some people are just naturally late and like just don't – timing's like not a thing. For dinner parties? I mean, I'm always shocked when people, they don't want to know. That's always a tricky sign. Like when someone's like, okay, cool, so I'll just come by. And I'm like, wait, I didn't tell you what time. Oh, I know. Oh, the dreaded. Sure. Sure, maybe I'll stop by. Yeah, maybe. No, no, no. Oh, no. Yeah. That's not an appropriate response. Oh, I have an idea for Mr. Newton. <laughs> <laughs> what if he just says... He gives the time constraints. Hey, I'm having a dinner party tonight. Come by between 6 and 8. Then everybody will get there. It sounds like from 8, between 8 and 10. No, not arrive between 6 and 8. Like, this is when it will be. Because I think the problem of just saying when it will start and people come late is then it can be upwards of four hours long. Right. But isn't that kind of what you want? Like, once people arrive, I want them to just hang. I just don't want to have – I just don't want to have cooked something where I'm hoping that we're going to eat at 830 and then it turns out that, right, like my food is sitting there. It's drying out. It's getting cold, you know. But I really think that the key, like you said, is doing doing something that you can keep on the stove or doing things that, of course, can be served room temperature. Or, and I've done this, you go get those um, little – they're not candles. Like, they're like Bunsen little, burners. Yeah, Bunsen burner. And those trays, those disposable trays. And you, I did that for my birthday once. But that's like a big thing. That's not like you're having six friends over. Right. Yeah. Or like having maybe like a roast beef just like out with a knife. Yeah. You know? Oh, I love that. I think doing – but I love the idea of doing like this kind of big buffet type thing. And you have like two or three different salads. You have some chicken, even if it – yeah, like lukewarm roast chicken – um, yeah, you're just not you, sitting around the table and the food's on the table. And even have, like, fresh fruit and, like, chocolate out or something for the people who already ate. And right. then, like, the second wave of people arrive at, you know, 9 p.m. and they eat. And then it's much more laissez-faire. Yeah, so I would put all the food in one area, either on the table itself and have people sit, like, more in the living room area. And if that's not happening for you because of space restraints or what have you, you... Um, do it on the counter and then maybe put like a, a glass with a bunch of cutlery in it and a stack of napkins so it's really like I'm imagining like Club Med 
buffet. Yeah. I have to say, I don't think that there's a way of doing a formal-ish dinner party Mm -mm. if your guests are going to be two hours late. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Mr. Newton. 